0: Hello welcome to the Live to 110 podcast. My name is Wendy Myers and you can find me on live to 110.com. Welcome to my bedroom. There's some construction going on so I could not record the podcast in my office so kind of nice little bird's eye view of my office here <laughs> So you can listen to this podcast on iTunes and you can also uh, look at the video podcast, watch the video podcast on my YouTube channel Wendy Live to 110. Today we have Dr. Aristo Batjani on the podcast today talking about antibodies that you could be producing to heavy metals and chemicals that are making you sick. Uh, Many people today, uh, everyone, um, has heavy metals and chemicals in their bodies. But some people, um, because of their body's uh, immune response to these metals and chemicals, it makes them very, very sick. And other people are just are oh, fine. Uh, they, they eventually uh, succumb in some way, um, but some people are just able to handle exposure to heavy metals and chemicals much better than other people. So we're going to be talking about that phenomena today on the podcast. This podcast is not intended to diagnose or treat any disease or health condition and is not a substitute for professional medical advice. Please consult your healthcare practitioner before engaging in any treatment that we suggest today on the show. And I'm really excited to announce my online health program called BodyBioRehab.com. This is an online health program that uh, addresses the five pillars of health, diet, um, stress, sleep, detoxification, and exercise. And I think these are all the five facets of your health that you need to be working on. And I'll be going into detail on on every pillar of health. And These are tips that I use myself that I've learned over the past seven, eight years and that I've used with hundreds of clients to help them improve their health, reverse disease, improve their energy, uh, increase their mental clarity, et cetera, et cetera. And this is a, a, a definitely tried and true 30-day program that works. So I'm excited to bring it to you. Go check out bodybiorehab.com and sign up it's when the program, and you'll get more information when the program launches very, very soon. So a little bit about our guest today. Uh, Dr. Aristo Vajani obtained his PhD in the field of microbiology and clinical immunology with postdoctoral studies in tumor immunology at UCLA. Vajani's ongoing research, spanning a 40-year career, focuses on the role of environmental factors such as toxic chemicals, infections, and dietary proteins and peptides in complex diseases. An owner of 15 U.S. patents for laboratory assessments, he has published 120 peer-reviewed articles in scientific journals. Dr. Vodjani is CEO and Technical Director of Immunosciences Labs in Los Angeles, California, a member of the editorial board of four scientific journals and a guest editor of six journals. He is also the chief scientific advisor for Cyrexlabs.com. Dr. Vajidani, thank you so much for coming on the show.
1: Thank you, Wendy, to have me on your program. It is my pl- pleasure and honor to share with your audience 47 years of experience working in a research and clinical laboratory immunology.:
0: Yeah, well why don't you tell us a little bit about that? Tell us about your background and your research.
1: Sure. So uh, my journey started actually with a bachelor's degree in biochemistry and microbiology, then master in microbiology and immunology and PhD in the field of immunology. All that happened in Israel. So altogether took me 12 years. That's how it used to be before. And then I spent one year of postdoctoral studies to look at usefulness of immunological testing in clinical medicine. And then I came to the US, went to UCLA, and did additional postdoctoral studies from UCLA. I moved to Harbor UCLA, which is a hospital associated with UCLA, then to Charles Drew UCLA School of Medicine, where I became assistant professor, then associate professor, got several NIH grants, which is really, at this level, was the highlight of my research, was to look at the effect of toxic and carcinogenic chemicals on cell-mediated immune function using three different strains of mice. And we were injecting the same level of chemicals to three strains of mice one strain after three months was developing cancer. Second strain after six months. And uh, if the length of the study was, let's say, 12 months, the third strain never developed cancer. So you see the inter- individual variation in reaction to toxic chemicals, which exists also in human beings.
0: Yes. Yes, and that's what I want to talk to you about today. Right. Are, are why do some people... Who have the same amount of heavy metals and chemicals right. get very very sick, and the next person seems to be functioning okay. I'm sure they have fatigue or malaise yeah. or something, um, but they are not bedridden. Um, so why don't we talk a little bit about uh, you know the prevalence of chemicals and metals now, um, let me finish in the population? Of oh yeah, my... please go ahead, please.
1: <laughs> and then you know I got NIH grants and I did all those studies and then published many articles in scientific journals. Then, because of my desire, my interest in clinical immunology, human immunology, I went to a biotechnology company. Actually, I started a biotechnology company. The first test which I developed in 1986 was food IgG testing. If the audience would like to read about this, just very recently, just this month, seven articles were published in a journal called alternative therapies in health and diseases went through that history and why certain food can cause autoimmunity. That's a different issue. Okay. Mm-hmm. So 1986 developed first food IgG testing. After that first test ELISA test or antibody test for H pylori, which was involved or is involved in ulcer and then another test uh, for um, measuring islet cell antibodies in type 1 diabetes, which is an autoimmune disease mainly in children. So, uh, this I'm talking about now about 20 years working in the clinical and research laboratories. Every day, let's say, average of 12 to 16 hours a day, I was working with many chemicals. And suddenly I became sick. Yeah. I developed chronic fatigue-like syndrome, fibromyalgia. And every time I was opening a bottle of chemicals, I was getting severe headaches. And then I went to many doctors. They told me, actually, the bottom line is that you are crazy. It's, everything is in your head. Okay. Until I went to a doctor, which was a member of American Academy of Environmental Medicine. He said, Ari, you have chemical sensitivity. And that was the first time I heard about chemical sensitivity. And then I asked him, What is my choice? He said, The only choice you have, there is no treatment for this. You have to avoid the toxic chemicals. If you want to work in a laboratory, you have to cover your nose, your mouth, and gloves and everything. And I did that, and I got much better. And uh, then after visiting, That doctor, many, many times, he said, Ari, why don't you start a laboratory to help patients like yourself? And that's how I started Immunosciences Laboratory in 1989. Since then, I have developed more than 300 immunological assays to deal with problems associated with environmental triggers and complex diseases.
0: Yeah, and it's sad There's a lot of people that go to their doctor and they're not they're not offered tests like this. They're not offered environmental sensitivity type testing. What kind of tests do you offer?
1: Right. Uh, well, you know, you will see that uh, I have prepared a list of the um, uh, publications that I did in association with some of these testing because during past let's say 25 years, we applied this methodology, antibody testing. Looking at cell-mediated immunity, meaning you look at T cell, B cell, helper cell, natural killer cells, all of that together, chemical antibody, mercury antibody, one example. So what we've, uh, you know, by applying that to more than 400,000 individuals, and some of these examples, which I'm going to share with the audience, uh, that... These are individuals who were exposed to chemicals in different environments. The first one happened in 1968, where residents of a mobile home developed disease, developed fibromyalgia, chronic fatigue, and all of that. When we tested them for for formaldehyde antibodies, they had very high levels of formaldehyde and isocyanate and trimelitic anhydride, these are all plasticizers used in the building material in mobile homes. They had also abnormal T-cell function, B-cell function, natural killer cell activity. All of that was published in Archives Environmental Health in 1987. Then, we worked with individuals working in electronics. Electronics facilities, individuals working in airplane manufacturing, because they use a lot of solvents to clean their body with every day. Immune abnormalities were found in students at school, which school was built on super funds. You know, these are places that, you know, toxic dump, and then they build the buildings on top of the toxic dumps. Lots of abnormalities. Then, in Sacramento River, it was an accident that a train was derailed and introduced any gallons of chemical called sodium. I'm sure you remember, or you are too young to remember the issue in uh, Bhopal, India. These are similar, similar chemicals. And Individuals living on the bank of Sacramento River, and remember, these were people who had chemical sensitivity, moved to Sacramento River area to be away from chemicals. Now suddenly, chemicals comes into the river, and they develop neuro, immune abnormalities. Then, uh, I work with many patients with silicone breast implant. They had atypical autoimmune immune disease. They had antibodies against silicon itself. They made antibodies against myelin basic protein, which is a component of brain cells. Uh, I worked with uh, our soldiers who became sick from, you know, after Gulf War. Based on that, I went to the U.S. Senate and testified that these individuals did not have uh, so-called, you know, they give them this, you know, um, PTSD. But they may have some of them PTSD, but not all of them have PTSD. Most of them had already immune activity against whatever they were exposed to during the war. Um, Then I worked with thousands and thousands of individuals who were exposed to molds and mycotoxins. We found similar abnormalities. Um, Then I worked with some survivors of 9-11. They have many abnormalities. I had an opportunity to work with many patients with chronic fatigue and fibromyalgia, which is very common with all these individuals. And then children with autism, ADD, ADHD, OCD, PANDAS, and finally, autoimmunity. 53 million Americans are suffering from autoimmune diseases, and many people do not pay pay attention to them. They just put them on immunosuppressant. They don't ask question why my patient is developing autoimmunity? Why my patient is making antibody against its own DNA or its uh, own uh, tissue antigens? If we ask that question, then we'll be able to answer. The environmental triggers plus genes are responsible for development of autoimmune diseases. So that was a kind of summary that, uh, about my work.
0: Well, thank you. That was very elaborate, that, but that's very, very telling uh, of the kind of work that you do and the the impact it can have on people's lives. Um, and I know in my own practice, I deal with many, many sick in, individuals. That um, uh, because everyone's exposed to heavy metals and chemicals in our environment, there's just no way around it. So, what is the prevalence of the heavy oh, metals and chemicals?
1: Again, I prepared some uh, a list for to answer you know these type of questions. First of all, let me summarize that again for the audience that more than 80,000 industrial chemicals are registered with the EPA for commercial use. Only 5% of these substances have been characterized for human toxicity. The other 95% were not tested. And we don't want to get to the politics of why they introduce chemicals into the market without testing them for toxicity. This is unbelievable. Then, in the meantime, in average, 2,500 new chemicals are introduced into the market each year. And some of these chemicals are used in more than 6 million products for human use. And maybe you and I are exposed to them on a daily basis. And some of these chemicals, Resist metabolism, and that will come back to this issue of, you know, some people metabolize chemicals much faster. They get rid of them. Some people do not metabolize chemicals faster. The chemicals or metabolites can bind, bind to their tissue and inducing our immune reactivity. Then um, when chemicals bind to our tissue, metabolites or chemicals, We call that the body burden of chemicals, and we can have discussion about this. What is the value of measuring levels of the mercury in the urine or in the blood? If we know almost 95% of us, we have that in in our blood or in our urine. What's the value of measuring bisphenol A, which is plastic material in the urine, while studies show that 95% of the population are having these chemicals in their urine. Therefore, my interest is to test for body burden of chemicals by measuring antibodies against chemicals plus human tissue, meaning chemical, chemicals bound to human tissue. We call that new antigen formation. So that's, that's really what, you know, uh, and then... We talked about prevalence, right? They measured four hundred seven, four hundred thirteen chemicals in human, in in this case, in a cord blood of newborns. Uh, they found that two hundred, uh, they found that two hundred eighty seven out of four hundred thirteen were found in the cord blood. And then 217 of those are toxic to the brain and nervous system, and 208 of those also causing birth defect. Um, They found 200 different chemicals in breast milk. Whether this study was done in the U.S., England, or Canada, they found about 90% of individuals have chemicals in their urine um so so that's that's really the how common are the chemicals chemicals are everywhere. So what is the value of just measuring chemicals in the blood? I think we should look at the body burden of the chemicals, meaning chemicals binding to human tissue. Another issue which is extremely important, I'm sure you are familiar with the studies by Dr. Skinner, which was published in Science 2014 that if i am exposed to chemicals if you are exposed to chemicals not only your children are going to be affected by the chemicals the third generation that's why he, he showed you know this picture the third generation so it's not like you know we you know, we, yes we get exposed to chemicals we detoxify ourselves and we are okay no chemicals can affect our next generation and the next generation uh, and so forth so we so, have to be careful
0: yeah, I mean it almost seems hopeless.
1: <laughs> yes.
0: Because we are we are always exposed and it does it affects our genes. It changes right. our gene, our genetic makeup. Exactly. Um so so why is it why are some people more affected than others? Why don't we talk a little bit about that in detail? Why can some people be exposed to chemicals and medicals and be relatively okay and live a normal life when and I others
1: about, aren't? When I talked about the mice, we are talking about three different genetic makeup of waste, right? The same thing in humans. Our genes are different. So we do not deny that genes are playing a role in detoxifying chemicals, in metabolizing chemicals. If we look at population at large, we can divide the population as slow metabolizers, medium and fast metabolizers. That by itself is telling us that I may be slow metabolizer, you may be fast metabolizer, and another person could be medium metabolizer. And and each one of those could have consequences. So slow metabolizers are going to be exposed to the parent compounds more. Fast metabolizers are going to be exposed to metabolites of the chemicals. And so therefore depends if metabolites or, or parent compounds. Managed to bind to human tissue, the, that is the mechanism which set the stage for not only making antibodies against the chemicals, we are going to make also antibodies against their own tissue and therefore autoimmunity, cardiovascular disease, type 2 diabetes and cancer. So it's and, gene, our enzymes, plus environmental triggers.
0: Yes, yes. And so why, can you explain a little bit more about why we wanna test for allergies to, uh, and you know, other immune reactions to these chemicals?
1: Yes, uh, as you know, there are many laboratories who measure levels of chemicals in the urine or blood. I already gave some introduction that measuring levels of the chemicals in the urine or blood it indicates exposure. We already know we are exposed to chemicals. Why do I need to spend $300 or $500 to show that I'm exposed to chemicals? But I'll be very interested to see whether or not chemicals or metabolites bind to my tissue and induce antibody production against the chemicals as well as against our my own tissue, which can set the stage for autoimmunity. That's why that's why I developed this test group of testing for Cyrex Lab under Array Eleven, where they test antibodies against twelve different groups of chemicals, which will show whether or not an individual is exposed to solvents and solvents binding to the tissue of that individual, whether it's mercury or heavy metals, because <clears throat> again we can be exposed to as much as mercury, if we metabolize them and get rid of them, we we may be okay. But if mercury binds to my cell membrane and then goes inside the cell, binds to the DNA or the RNA or uh, uh, nucleoproteins, then I'm going to make antibodies against my own, you know, uh, ENA or DNA. That's exactly what we detect in the laboratory. But unfortunately, many clinicians, they know patient is having anti DNA antibody, anti extractable nuclear antigen antibody called ENA or ANA, anti nuclear antibody. They don't ask why patient is making anti nuclear antibody. Obviously, something from the environment gets into our body, gets into this through the cell membrane, bind to the cell components, And then we make antibodies against our own cell components. So the bottom line is to prevent autoimmunities and other disorders, we have to remove the chemicals from our environments. Otherwise, chemicals will bind to our tissue and result in uh, antibody production.
0: And so can you you talked about Array 11. Um, Can you explain that a little bit more and other tests that one can do to, to determine if they're producing antibodies to metals or chemicals?
1: Yes. The, the test, which is part of the array 11, uh, includes aflatoxin antibodies. As you know, aflatoxin is a major component of our food. Whether it's peanuts or whatever, other g- grains and so forth, aflatoxin covalently bind to the food proteins, get into our body, can bind to our DNA or other tissue constitutes, and then causing our immunity. Uh, then formaldehyde, isocyanide, trimelitic anhydride, benzene ring, all of those solvents which are used everywhere, whether it's a building material or cosmetics or, or you know, uh, other other uh, products are used. Bisphenol A and bisphenol binding protein, the bisphenol A is everywhere. And unfortunately, uh, people do not read the type of articles you and I read. Example. Here I have an article with me, that uh, that from uh, from the journal of here from the journal of hypertension hypertension. Okay, exposure to bisphenol A from plastic, drinking canned beverages, increases blood pressure. How many clinicians that have you, know, you have seen that patient with blood pressure go to the, to the doctor instead of giving them some advice that do not drink, do not eat in plastic, remove the chemical from your environment, but you know they cho- the, you know, they choose to give them medication for hypertension yeah. but but really there's a lot we can do so this article shows that yes plastic. Can contribute to hypertension, and last night also I was reading this article in uh, in Wall Street Journal actually that if you drink a cup of uh, beet juice, this is tea every day, can reduce your blood pressure as well. So there is a lot we can do.
0: Yes, yes.
1: Or or another example that this is another article uh, in uh, American Journal. Of public health 2014. Soda and cell aging. Okay, they looked at you know the sugar sweetened beverages and different people who drink less or more, and then they look at telomerase and telomere shortening. And they found those who drink a lot of it, they have much faster aging of but they blame that on the sugar but they don't think that all these beverages are used by people who uh, are you know in the cans we have a layer of bisphenol a or plastic bottles they have also another you know they're made of bisphenol a and by the way there is no such thing as bpf free plastic yeah Plastic is plastic, okay? So I would like to to make that clear. So here, example, that, and in my laboratory, I had the opportunity to take some of these beverages and measure the pH. You know what? Just guess. What is the pH of one of these soda drinks?
0: Oh, bad. Very acidic.
1: Worse than vinegar.
0: Yeah. (laughs) 2.2,
1: 2.3, 2.4. So if you put... An acid in a plastic bottle. What do you think happened to that? And so, therefore, plastic is released. We drink it. And here we blame everything on the sugar. But really, the bottom line I'm not saying sugar is good for us, but there are other factors contributing in this case to uh, faster aging in individual drinking uh, sodas.
0: Yeah. Yeah and so so you said that Cyrix labs array so labs, array, array, array 11 is yeah. good is there yeah. any I other was
1: test about a right <laughs> and and yeah. then tetrach tetra bromobisphenol a it's a fire retardant a tetrachloroethylene in a dry cleaning parabens in cosmetics and then mercury compounds are everywhere in fish because you know we have to think about fish not always you know uh, you know talk about uh, mercury in the amalgam because fish has very high level of mercury. And then finally, other mixed heavy metals. So this is um, uh, the 12 list of the 12 different chemicals or group of chemicals that Cyrex is uh, measuring antibody against. And in this case, we are not measuring antibody directly against the chemicals. This is exactly what happens in our body. Chemicals bound to human serum albumin are used as an antigen. So we measure antibodies against mercury bound to human serum albumin, mercury bound to human hemoglobin, exactly the way it happens in our body. This way, if you detect antibodies against mercury, the meaning of that is not only you are exposed to mercury, mercury is forming a new alliance with your tissue and then setting the stage for autoimmunity. And uh, in the article that uh, I published in the Journal of Applied Toxicology, which I will send you the PDF, also if you know, would like to share with the audience. Yeah, that.
0: send that and I'll I'll put it as downloads in the, the podcast so, post. So
1: I took 400 healthy subjects and I wanted to see what percentage of them make antibodies, for example, against aflatoxin or against mercury or bisphenol A. And the answer to that was about 20%. So in about 20% of healthy population, so-called healthy at this stage, that chemicals enter into their system, form a complex with their tissue, and they make antibody against the chemical as well as their own tissue. These are the individuals who are at risk for developing autoimmune disease in the future. And that's exactly what I discussed. In my article, when the article went for publication, that uh, I got this comment from reviewers saying that this, this article is challenging the status quo about the causes of autoimmunity, which I see that as a real, real compliment to me because I'm talking about mechanism. It's not enough to say the patient is having autoimmunity. What are the causes of autoimmune reactivity first? and then what are the causes of autoimmune disease. Yeah.
0: And so are there any uh, tests at immunosciences labs that you can get, or do you prefer the Array 11?
1: Yeah. Uh, at the immunosciences lab, uh, we do only testing for Lyme disease. We have a patented test for Lyme disease, and then we look at viral infection. Okay. Mainly, those are the two major tests. Okay. Any new developments that I do, research and development, As chief scientific advisor to Cyrex, this technology goes to Cyrex. They're in the lab is in Arizona and in Orange County, the headquarter. They run the assays. I'm just their clinical advisor.
0: Yeah. And I, I love it. Yeah. I love it that you can test for to see if you have antibodies and potentially could develop autoimmunity in the future. Cause what I always urge the listeners to do is don't wait until you get sick. Don't wait until you're exhausted. Um, Go get some testing done and see if you have any predictive antibodies. Thank you so
1: much for, for mentioning that word, predictive antibodies. Eight years ago, I published an article about predictive antibodies, the value of predictive antibodies. And this idea is not mine. It came from the best scientists from NIH, National Institutes of Health. When I was talking about type 1 diabetes, islet cell antibodies. Do you know, Wendy, that... Islet cell antibodies are detected 10 years before the onset of full blown type 1 diabetes. So if we detect the antibodies and, for example, we look for gluten, we can remove gluten from the diet. If it's milk, which we know cross react with islet cells, right? We can remove milk or casein, milk, dairy from the diet. Maybe it's a virus, Coxsackie virus. EBV CMV we can do something about it remove the triggers and we can reverse the course of autoimmune diseases that is the value of predictive antibodies
0: yeah and it just it just blows my mind that you absolutely have control you can get testing done and you can stop this disease in its tracks. I, I was interviewing uh, Dr. Thomas O'Brien, Dr. Tom O'Brien. He was talking oh, yes. about he did his predictive antibodies test and he was really surprised how he had antibodies for his brain or pancreas. I forget the exact ones, uh, but he was shot. Um, yes. But it, it's very telling that you can do these tests and take corrective measures uh, before you get ill.
1: Exactly. That's the strongest message we have for your audience. Do predictive antibodies, take preventive steps.
0: Yeah, yeah. And and because autoimmunity is so prevalent in our society, uh, and because it's on the rise, it's one of the fastest growing subset of diseases, um, it just makes sense to get testing of this nature because chances are, uh, I think it's 10% of the population um, yes. are affected with autoimmunity, that's that it. uh, it's, it's a, a, a large chance, uh, it's such a high prevalence in the this population. So I think it's a very good idea to get testing of this nature.
1: And that's part of the RA5, by the way.
0: Okay. Yeah, yeah. 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 There's different arrays for that.
1: What yeah. are antibodies for autoimmunity? Yes.
0: yes, and so so once someone is determined to have uh, antibodies to heavy metals or chemicals, what can they do? What are the next steps? How do they detox them?
1: Always I use uh, these three words: detect, remove, and repair. So you detected antibodies, you have to find the sources of these chemicals. Maybe it's, it is your shampoo. I'm just giving an example. Maybe it's your soul. Maybe it's fish. See, so you, have, you have to find a source. And, and anyway, my recommendation will be when you have antibodies, try to change your habit from whatever it is to a very healthy habit. Remove chemicals from your daily activities as much as possible. Go on organic food. And it has been proven that organic food has 80% less pesticides and herbicides. We are not saying that organic is 100% pure. Unfortunately, because the world is polluted, even organic foods have some chemicals in them but they have much less than non-organic food yeah. so there is a lot we can do to change to minimize exposure to chemicals from the environment from our diet and and definitely you are going to see results
0: yeah. uh, do you advocate the use of infrared saunas or anything of that nature to detox metals and chemicals
1: uh Okay. When it comes to detox, always I mention that you can do any detoxification or you can go to any detoxification programs. There are many centers that I did go. For example, the one in not far from San Diego, I did like one week of detoxification. You know, green foods and you know fresh fruits and vegetables and all of that every day. Exercise, sweating, and colon therapy—everything all together—that's a good detoxification program. But what is the value of doing that detoxification? And you come back and you get exposed to the same levels of chemicals next day. So unless you remove first, you know, the sources of the chemicals to minimize entry of chemicals into your body then detoxify and then you'll see improvement in the clinical symptomatology
0: yeah, and it's it's not easy to do. I know when I first started studying toxins, first all the all the shampoos and cosmetics have to go. Those have to be changed, and then your laundry detergent and household cleaners have to be changed. Then right. even even some clothes are toxic. Oh yes, uh, made absolutely. with made with petroleum fabrics and things like that. And then you, then your diet and that's a it's difficult to do.
1: Yeah, Wendy, we forget also that all the clothing we wear in nature. They are not. Nature did not make them in that color. So how come, you know, when we, when you wear something in red, what what kind of chemicals used to make that, you know, cloth? Probably,
0: so, probably not beet juice.
1: Some you know, <laughs> food coloring, right? Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, food coloring or coloring or you know synthetic material. So some people indeed are extremely sensitive when you know whatever they wear. Um, contact with the skin causing reaction, allergic reaction sometimes or pseudo allergic reaction so we have to be careful with all of that absolutely.
0: Yeah, you absorb everything through your skin. Right. That's frightening and so I have a question I like to ask all of my guests what do you think is the most pressing health issue in the world today?
1: Okay, thank you for asking that. Okay, if I will go according to this issue of Scientific America okay, 2014. They talk about actually three major issues, which I agree with them. It's type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancer. But they forget the fourth one, which is autoimmune disease. Now, this whole issue was published about at the World at the at the world level. What how do you call it? At the international level. At the international level, people from different countries got together and said, "We have to do something about this epidemic of type two diabetes, cardiovascular disease, and cancer." Example: Last year, I was in Israel. Do you know that that? Uh, um, Israelis, Arab citizens who used to live in the villages, moved to the city. Almost 55% of them are obese. And I'm talking about women now. And if you go to Iran, whether you go to South America, Chile, or any other countries, almost everywhere, this is epidemic in the world that people are overweight, because um, many, many reasons, actually. Less, you know, we, less activities and we consume more. And they forget also that chemicals coming through some of these nutrients into our body is affecting our metabolism. Because chemicals goes love fat cells, right? And so the chemicals contribute to type 2 diabetes. And no one is talking about that. So, what solution they are suggesting in here? In all these countries, they put billions of money together. So they take population in each country: ten thousand here, twenty thousand over there, fifty thousand over here. Let's give them a poly pill. What is poly pill? A combination of aspirin, statin, and. Uh, Hypertension medication. No, 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 no. <laughs> Those three together.
0: Yeah.
1: And they are going to very, you know, small villages. I'm not talking about, you know, uh, very large cities. These people never use medication in their life or they use at the very minimal level. They do agriculture, they do all of that. And now we are going to expose them to all these medications with the hope that will prevent all these issues that, you know, human being is facing in the world. Type 2 diabetes, cardiovascular disease, cancer, and autoimmunities. But in my opinion, that's not the solution. We have to look at the triggers of all these disorders. If we find the triggers, remove the triggers, and then hopefully we'll see better improvement. The solution is not to put thousands and thousands of people on uh, medication with the hope that they are going to improve. That reminds me, a very nice book was written by uh, New a uh, um, New York Times reporter about our daily meds, which they did exactly similar program about 20 years ago, they went to Iowa, where, which at that level, only 5% or 10% of the population in Iowa, they used to use, for example, certain medication. But after going in there and starting promoting medication and medication and medication, today, five times more population in Iowa using medication than they used before. So this is not the solution to put everybody on medication, and that will be uh, an answer for all these problems uh, our humanity is facing.
0: Yeah, that does not address the root cause of the problem. It's just a band-aid that creates more of a body burden and toxicity to the liver. Exactly. Well, Dr. Vajjani, thank you so much for coming on the show. I really, really appreciate it. That was so informative, and I really urge all the listeners out there to uh, go to cyrexlabs.com and look at all the arrays they have, and definitely urge you to get testing. It's so interesting uh, to do this, these biohacks and get this information. Because information is power, and you need that information to be able to make you know drastic changes in your health and find out about those predictive antibodies. All
1: right. Wait, uh, so, just, yeah. Go
0: yes. ahead. So, Doctor Vajade, why don't you tell us a little bit more, um, you know, about where the listeners can find you and uh, immunosciences, et cetera.
1: So uh, I am the owner and technical director of Immunosciences Laboratory. At the Immunosciences Laboratory, we are doing patented technology or based on patented technology for Lyme disease. And also we do viral infection, which is another triggers of all immunity, both Lyme and viruses. At the same time, I do uh, lots of research and development. And as a chief advisor of Cyrex Laboratories, the new technology goes to Cyrex. And that's why you see all these new arrays that we are developing every year. And we have more in the pipeline that will come out in the very near future. So to find me, immunoscienceslab.com or drari at msn.com, that's my personal email or go to cyrex.com. Uh, uh,
0: yeah. And can you talk a little bit about Lyme disease? Um, I think that's very, very interesting that you you know, you know have testing for that because I heard there's a lot of uh, you know tests that are not very reliable for Lyme disease. I think a lot of people are being tested and um, sh- given a negative report that they don't have Lyme when they, in fact, do. Can you talk based, a little bit about that? Yeah,
1: based on the research that I haven't published this yet, but this, the results of Lyme disease could go both ways. Another meaning, you, you know, you can have based on testing that approved by CDC, which you do ELISA and Western blood, which you measure antibodies against Borrelia grown in culture. Remember, I'm microbiologist in training. You grow Borrelia in culture, you make an antigen, and you measure antibodies by two different methods. One is ELISA, and one is Western blood. And if certain bands are positive by Western blood, according to CDC criteria, we say the patient is having Lyme disease. So that's one But if a patient is having Epstein-Barr virus, if a patient is having infection with Yersinia entercolytica in the gut, You can get two bands to be positive. And so patients is having actually Epstein-Barr or Yersinia entercolytica. We think in the lab, based on CDC criteria, patient is having Lyme disease. So this is false positive. Mm. The false negative, that's where my test is coming, is to measure antibodies against Borrelia grown in culture is not enough. Why? Because Borrelia, after getting into human system, changing its antigenic structure in order to hide from the immune system. And so that's how it goes into the tissue and becomes chronic. So we measure antibodies against Borrelia grown in culture, like everybody, plus all those determinants. Which are expressed in human system. So we measure antibodies against those. Yeah. There are three subspecies of Borrelia. Everybody's measuring antibody against one. We measure antibody against all three subspecies. Mm-hmm. And then the coin infection, Babesia, Ehrlichia, and Bartonella, sometimes could cause also cross reactivity. The coin infection, at the same time, you know, the same tick. To transmit the coinfection as well as the Borrelia, and so therefore you have to measure antibodies against all the components of Borrelia grown in culture, those which are expressed in human system, the three subspecies as well as the coinfection by B. and Bartonella. All of that is done in our panel as a panel for Lyme disease. Of course, we do also Western blood, which is approved by, you know, uh, CDC.
0: Okay. Yeah, that's really interesting. We'll have to do another podcast on that. Because yes. I, long... there are
1: false positives
0: and false negatives. Yes, yes, yes. Lyme disease. Yeah, because Lyme disease is much more prevalent than we think. And I think it causes a lot of health issues and it goes undetected for years and years and years. And meanwhile, people get sicker and sicker and sicker. So
1: right. I think it's
0: very important for people to get tested for Lyme. Absolutely.
1: Yes. Yes. Otherwise, you know, uh, you know, there is terminology that Lyme arthritis. Where this terminology is coming from? Meaning, Lyme is becomes chronic due to cross reaction between certain components of Lyme, Borrelia, with human joint tissue. That's after years, the body is attacking the Borrelia, but the same antibody and cells are attacking our joints resulting in Lyme arthritis. Yeah. Neuroborreliosis. What is neuroborreliosis? Right? So chronic Lyme in situation when blood brain barriers are open, antibodies and cells which are attacking the borrelia can cross the blood brain barriers and due to similarity between borrelia antigen with Human nervous system antigens, now those cells and antibodies going through the blood-brain barriers, attacking the neurons, and therefore neuroborreliosis. So all that is possible if we do not detect Lyme disease on time.
0: Yeah, it's a devastating disease. And uh, I I love that you're doing work like this to have a better prediction uh, of Lyme disease because... People desperately need to be properly diagnosed so they can make decisions about their health.
1: Yeah. So more information about our Lyme test, go on immunoscienceslab.com and find more information.
0: Well, Thank you so much, Dr. Vajmani. I really appreciate you coming on the show. Thank you. And listeners, if you want to learn all about detoxification, the modern paleo diet, and how to heal your health conditions naturally, go to my site, liveto110.com. So appreciate you tuning in today, and thank you for listening to the Live to 110 podcast.
1: Beautiful. Thank you.